This morning we are continuing on in our Lenten journey. Uh, as part of this, as I hope you're aware, we've been uh, guided by a book by Dave Zoll called <laughs> Low Anthropology. And if you've been reading this, um, uh, we've said this from the beginning, but there's a good chance you've got to not really like this book before you can consider embracing it. Um, you have to kind of not like it before you can potentially like it. Because when Dave breaks down the difference of what thinking of a high anthropology and a low anthropology is, we are naturally going to pick high anthropology. That's what we want as human beings. Culturally, that's what we celebrate, what we're drawn to. But Dave's saying, no, low anthropology is actually uh, a way as people and as people of faith that we should approach life. Now, high anthropology, again, is the graduation speech, right? You can do anything. You can be anything. Nothing is impossible. You know, kind of all like our society, like nothing is impossible for us as people. And low anthropology says it's not, it's not a negative view of life, but it's going, I just don't know if that's actually accurate, right? And he gives three reasons why, what he calls three pillars. And again, we've looked at these in the last three weeks, but to make certain we're on the same page, this is what they are. He says the first one's limitation. This is uh, true of you and true of me. We have limits to us, all kinds of limits. Nothing's impossible. Well, I've all my life wanted to slam dunk a basketball. I'm 48 years old. The chance has passed where that is ever going to happen. It's not going to happen, right? Um, you know, we, this is work we're doing in a more serious way with Alan Hilton of trying to bridge in our polarized society because we realize our viewpoints are limited in things. And not that our viewpoints are bad, but we don't want to just be a people who go, well, everything I think is right, and if you don't agree with me, you're just wrong and canceled. And so how is it that we learn to listen to each other? How do we consider other viewpoints? How do we learn in that? That's based on that we're all limited, as right as we might think we are. The second one is doubleness. And we talked about this, how this is the second pillar of low anthropology, that, that um, I have mixed motivations in what I do. Maybe some of you can relate to that, where Paul says, you know, the things I know I want to do, I fail to do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing, right? That's so why I know it and do it, discipleship doesn't work. Here's the rule, learn it, now go do it. Because it's like, well, there's something more in me than that, right? Like last night, I got to officiate a wonderful wedding here last night, a wonderful couple, and, um, and, and was talking to them about how, as a husband the, and a wife, the, uh, the things you're supposed to do is to outserve each other as equal partners. That's what the Bible calls us to do, to outserve each other. What I didn't say last night is it's like, but there's also going to be moments where you're just not going to want to do it, <laughs> right? It's like, I know I'm supposed to outserve my wife. There are just lots of times like, I don't really feel like it. Right? And people are like, well, you know, why did you say that? That kind of submarine thing. You're like, I don't know. It just sort of came out, right? <laughs> it's what makes Beth really nervous that I don't have a manuscript up here. Because there's moments where people are like, why did you say that in the sermon? You're like, I don't, I don't know. It'd be better if it was written down and I prepared, you know. The last one is self-centeredness. Don't even need to cover this one. If you're sitting there going, oh, I, don't, I don't know how that relates to me. <laughs> talk to someone who loves you and will tell you the truth. And then just be prepared to take notes, right? We all do this. And so it makes it so that just I can do or be any, it's like, you know, this is, this is high anthropology might not be the way to approach stuff, as appealing as it is in the moment. Uh, in fact, what Dave says is that because it's not possible, it actually leads to kind of negative fruit. He talks about bad fruit in our life. Um, and, and this kind of bad results, this bad crop, this bad fruit, uh, it leads to stuff we're seeing in our society, growing. There's increased perfectionism 
There's increased anxiety levels because I got it's on me to be whatever I want to be, so I got to make it happen. One of the things that was really kind of uh, disturbing to me in the book, but I really thought about it in terms of what we're seeing. Dave works with uh, students at the University of Virginia and has for a long time. If you read in the book, he says, in this age of perfectionism, students, he, said, he notices, are taking less risks because they need to be right and good. And that means you play it safe and stick to what you know. And that's not going to lead to something good over the long run. There's, there's more loneliness and isolation one from another because I'm more interested in curating a positive image of myself online and with my friends. Got my elevator speech about where my kids and grandkids are going to college and how it's all working than I am about kind of being honest, including honest in my shortcomings. We isolate ourselves from one another and we see that in our society. As appealing as high anthropology is on the surface, it's, it, the impossibility of it leads to very negative things. Whereas Dave says that this low anthropology, where we don't expect ourselves to be perfect and we don't think the world's necessarily going to be, it's not negative. It actually makes us kinder people, more generous people, more forgiving people, people who are willing to consider different viewpoints, people who say that you're, you and your, my love for you is more important than if you're pure and like-minded like me on everything. It actually makes us more like Jesus when we start living and acting this way. And that's what we're gonna get into some of the details of today. What he talks about in chapter six are the fruit of low anthropology, the great beauty of what can come out of a confessional kind of low anthropology view, okay? So we're turning from, uh, to, to the fruit of it. And the scripture we're looking at is from Matthew 18, verses one through five. I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are or how we walk in here today, how we worship today, we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this question of the disciples, <clears throat> who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, is that, a, is that a high anthropology question or a low anthropology question? High anthropology, right? Uh, it's like there's this ranking system. I need to be successful. I've worked really hard at this. I know I'm better than Matthew, right? Like, and so where do I rank? How's the ranking system in the kingdom of heaven, right? How does this work? That's a high anthropology approach. And again, as human beings, we love this. Anybody watch the, uh, the Netflix documentary, The Last Dance, Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls? Okay, yeah. all right. I know more of you did than that. It's the most like popular sports documentary. If you haven't, well, I'm not. Okay, that was the moment. See, I listened to the little voice. Like, don't say that. Even though you don't have a manuscript, just leave it there. You should watch it. It's a great thing. But what you notice in that document is high anthropology. We eat this stuff up. Like, what made Michael Jordan Michael Jordan? It wasn't that he could jump higher. It wasn't that he was faster. It's that he was driven to be great. He would do anything, no matter what, to be great. Now, his personal life's a train wreck. His ex-teammates don't talk to him anymore because of the same reasons, but we don't talk about that part. We just, man, I love, I want to be like Mike. Greatest ranking system. 
We all think this way. We eat this stuff up. And a question for, spirit, uh, for kind of understanding our spirituality is this. What is the ranking system in your life right now that makes you feel successful or not? It might not be that you compare yourself to other people in this room saying, who's the greatest disciple? But just like the disciples here, you've got stuff in your life that when it goes well, you feel successful and good. And when it doesn't, it makes you feel inferior and bad. Here's some examples just from this week that people have shared with me. Um, a young family just bought their first house, which in Austin is a really hard thing to do. They felt great about it, including the fact that a lot of the people they know were not able to buy a house yet. So like, yeah, we're kind of feeling good. We got, we're homeowners now, we've got this thing. And then they went to a small group meeting and it was in the house of someone else. And they loved their kitchen in their, new, in their house until they went into the kitchen of the person they were with. See that? It's like, oh, I was feeling great. Because I'm able to do stuff that other people aren't doing, then all of a sudden I don't feel as good. Or somebody said, I love my car, and then my neighbor just bought a new Tesla. There's a ranking system in this stuff. We do this on more important stuff, too. As many of you know, my oldest daughter is a senior in high school. We're in the midst right now of college acceptance letters or rejection letters. And let me tell you, there's a ranking system, and everybody gets it. And I'm a part of it. I'm not removed from it. Where there's times where we're like, wait, wait, he got in and she didn't? <laughs> Did they read the application? Like, there's no way that's possible. Wait, she got a scholarship and he didn't? What? There's all kinds of things, whether it's us, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our accomplishments, whether it's our children, whether it's our grand, like whatever it is that kind of makes us feel like somebody or it makes us feel less than others. What the disciples are doing here is no different from how you and I live. And mature people are able to go, I kind of see my ranking system. I kind of know, that I have enough self-awareness to know the things that make me feel like somebody or the things that make me feel inferior. What are they for you? And what Jesus says in the midst of this is the answer he says is that we are to become like a child, to embrace a child, he says. And the actual verb he uses here is to become humble. Become humble. Now, humility is an attribute we see lifted up throughout Scripture. We see this in Jesus, where, uh, as the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, he, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's a core part of who Jesus is. Paul also says in Galatians, it should be a core part of us as followers of Jesus. We should be humble. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit that he writes about. Humility. This is something that over and over again is lifted up in God and it should be lifted up in us as uh, something we should strive for. And here, Jesus is saying, you can actually pursue humility. You can become humble. You have agency in this. There are things that you can do to seek to embody humility. Now, the problem, what you see here, with a high anthropology, with a who is greatness, among other things, is it isolates us one from another because people become competition, right? Who's the greatest? There's always this ranking system. And if I am constantly comparing myself to you, then what that means is I can never truly be united with you. Even if we walk together for a long time, even if we're polite to each other, even if we're nice to each other, there's this moment where it's like, wait, you kid got in where? To college? And there's this, it's, just, it's this moment, right? And you're constantly realizing that we're comparing ourselves. And it, and it creates these separations, these divides where it's really hard to just purely celebrate the success of another because it says something about you. That's 
why we love as a society to tear people down more than lift them up. Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Jesus says that we are to become humble, that humility is something we are to pursue because humility doesn't start with my strength and then create competition. Humility is starting with weakness. And weakness is where we can come together and be brothers and sisters. Dave Zoll writes about this. He says this with low anthropology in this quote from chapter six. He says, to the extent that low anthropology bears good fruit in people's lives, it has to do with the humility that it engenders. Humility is the first fruit of low anthropology. He's saying this is what's gonna emerge if you have a a low anthropology, is there's gonna be humility to you. The thing Jesus says we're pursuing to become humble. All right, now how do we do that? Uh, From the scripture and from the book, I've got a few things that we're going to bring up here. These are practical steps that I think you and I could do today to think about what does it mean to kind of posture ourselves for humility, to become humble. First one is this, is confession. We should be people who confess, not just when we're here at church, Stephen just led us in that, but on our own. How many of us in our private devotional lives is confession a part of what you do? Lord, here are the things that I keep doing that I know I shouldn't do. Lord, here are the things that I know I should do, but I don't do. Like, here's the gaps. And if you confess as part of your personal life, you will realize, like, man, I confessed that last week, and I confessed it the week before, and I confessed it the week before. And that won't make you feel shame. What it actually can do is can make you realize how amazing it is that God keeps hearing it and going, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I forgive you. Confession brings about humility. C.S. Lewis has this great quote about humility. He says, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Confession. It's not, it's not dragging yourself down. It's not thinking, oh, I'm awful. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You see that in number two. Humble people, I think, are curious about others. You think of yourself less. When you walk into a room, are you more interested in learning about people or are you more interested in learning about you? The disciples here are all interested in, like, how am I seen? What's my ranking system? I want people to notice me. I want people to see me. I think humble people walk into a room going, I want to see you. I'm curious about your life. I want to understand better. I want to hear your story. I want to kind of listen to what you think about and why. Humble people, I think, really seek out to be question askers. Is that something you do? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Number three. They recognize their dependency and practice gratitude. What do children do? Children, which Jesus is lifting up here, children are dependent. And I think one of the most important things we can do for our humility is recognize our dependence on God. There are so many, and I hope we're aware of this, we've talked about this before, there are so many factors in our life that dictate where we are today that we had no control over. Right? What are the factors that, as one has been quoted several times, don't think because you're standing on third base you necessarily hit a triple. There are all kinds of factors that determine that you can't control how your life moves in different directions. And when you think about that, it should make us grateful, but you should also be aware that the idea for me that I earned being the senior pastor and head of staff of Covenant, and it's, I, I made this happen, that is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous for you as well. There's no such thing as a self-made person. No, no, no. I made this happen. No, you didn't. You might have worked really hard. I work hard too. But there are so many factors outside of our control. And just seeing the honesty of that 
should make us thankful and grateful people for the blessings we have in our life. And last, and Dave talks about this quite a bit in the book, and this is what we'll kind of wrap up with. I think humble people are open about their shortcomings. They don't lead with how impressive I am. They don't lead with, well, how are you doing? Well, you know, when my grandkids got into college. You can feel this is a sensitive thing for me right now. <laughs> but we lead and are open to also sharing the rough places. Because if you lead with strength, you become a competitor. Who's the greatest disciple? If you lead with weakness, people can come along beside you and you can do the same for them. And it changes the complex of a room. I experienced this in November. Uh, it's something that was, was really powerful for me. It was a gathering I almost skipped um, because it was a gathering in, in Ranger, Texas, which honestly, if you're gonna be in Texas, Ranger, Texas is kind of a cool place. Uh, to be. And, um, and it was a gathering, though, of seven pastors. And as a habit, and I don't say that this is a good thing, I don't feel comfortable in gatherings of pastors. Um, and you might be going, but Thomas, you're a pastor. And I hear that, and I get that, and I know that. I'm not saying, it's, it's, it's not the thing that they're bad people, or, or that I'm a bad person. I mean, I might be a bad person. I am a bad person. Again, the beauty of a manuscript, if you had it right now. <laughs> But I always feel like an imposter. I feel that's where my imposter syndrome, because I feel like for a lot of people who've known their whole life they were gonna be pastors, you know, they can sit there and I can like say something, it's like, well, you know what Jürgen Moltmann wrote about that? And you're like, I don't, <laughs> I don't. It's like, well, you know, volume two of Bart's Dogmatics. And you're like, I think I read that in seminary, yes. Uh, I mean, it j I just feel like I'm so far behind the ball and I don't get the culture and I just avoid religious settings. I just, I do, again, not because religious, pastors are bad. I feel the imposter syndrome there. So I just don't go. So I got invited to this thing. But, and it was like the hallmark of what you don't go because it was this invitation only thing for, for seven pastors from around the country from three different denominations to gather. And I looked on the website of these people and it was like, well, that's this amazing church in Seattle. And this is this amazing church in Charleston. And this is this amazing church in Atlanta. And this is this amazing church in Richmond, Virginia. I do not want to go to this. I, like when it's, who's the ranking of the greatest disciple? I was walking going like, I, wherever seventh place is, whatever ribbon you get for seventh place, that's where I, I genuinely, I mean that seriously, I felt that walking, so I didn't wanna go. But, but, the gathering was with an author who is a very well-known author who I had never met before, who asked us never to, to not use his name, but, uh, but it was someone who's like really changed my life and ministry in a lot of ways. And you're like, oh, I, would get, I never thought I would meet this guy. I would love to meet this guy. And it's not at a conference. There's seven of us for 48 hours gonna get this time. And it's in the setting where I feel totally inferior and don't wanna go. But I, but I went. Now, the place we gather, and I've been, you guys in Texas, you have great ranches. I've never seen anything like this. This thing had an airstrip for you to land. Uh, I didn't do that. I drove my 11-year-old Honda Accord, you know, kind of like <laughs> putting up the road. Uh, it, it had a safari, which I didn't know what that meant. Because uh, I was like, oh, that's kind of a cute name. No, man, this was like, 
a, a, a Jeep that sat 18 that was open air and you go through and there's all this African, there's like giraffes going by and kudu going and like all of this different stuff. And there's a ranger who takes you and he's like showing you, you're like, I'm in Ranger, Texas right now. And there's just herds of giraffe going around like this. It was so surreal. Like in a high anthropology, whoever those people were, who had, they had won at life, right? <laughs> And we were there for free, because if you have herds of giraffe, you don't need to charge pastors rent. Like you just, they just let you come, right? And you're, and, you're, and you're there. And so we're at this thing, and I am just totally dealing with this inferiority complex and you know all this kind of stuff. And then we finally sit down, for the only reason I'm there with this author, and the first session of 48 hours, and I got my notebook out, I got my pen, I'm like, finally, this is why I'm here. And this guy, who's got a resume better than anyone else in the room, and I mean this seriously, if you had asked all of us there who's the greatest, it was this person. That's the reason we were there. And he said, what I'd like to do is that we're gonna talk for the next 48 hours about where you find God in pain and in suffering. But I'm not gonna quote you any book. For the first hour, I wanna tell you about the last few years of my life. And this brother laid out a story that almost didn't feel real of like pain and loss upon pain and loss and in the midst of it he also said and I think in the pain I responded this way to my child and you're going like oh, I can't believe you said that I mean, he was talking about his own culpability his own mistakes in the midst of pain it was it was heart-wrenching to hear and at the end of the hour he said I don't know if any of you all can relate to this. And one of the guys there started talking about his struggle with depression. And another one started talking about his estrangement from his child. And all of a sudden, this room full of competitors at an invite-only gathering with giraffe walking by, it became something so powerful because the most powerful person in the room became humble. And we went from competitors to people who were praying for each other in our brokenness and our weakness. We became brothers and sisters. I don't know anything else about those pastors that I hadn't known from their website before, but I knew how to pray for them. And they knew how to pray for me. The week after Easter, it became one of the most powerful things of the year last year for me. The week after Easter, I'm going back to Atlanta. My stepfather passed away a few months ago, and the, the service is going to be in Atlanta uh, where, where um, he lived and where I grew up. And um, we're gathering there, but in the time there, I'm going to get together with the one pastor from Atlanta who has this unbelievable church. That If you look at their website, you're like, well, they've got life figured out. But the reason we're gathering is not to learn strategy. It's because I've been praying for him about betrayal in his life that he's really struggling to heal from. And he's been praying for me as well. That's what low anthropology can do. When you become humble, as Jesus is saying here, you move from being competitors who struggle to want the best for each other to brothers and sisters supporting each other on a journey. The liberating thing about the cross is at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. Sinners saved by grace. 
rather than competitors trying to show off. We left that gathering with a charge that I invite you to think about as we close. As the seven of us were leaving and going back to wherever we were from in our fancy cars or our really old Honda Accords, where the locks don't work, because it cost $2,000 to fix the lock, and that's more than the car is worth. <laughs> so funny, like these guys are getting into my car, driving them to another part of the ranch, whatever, and I'm like, I, I gotta unlock that manually, the doors don't work. <laughs> he asked us what it would mean to go back and to seek to be the most humble person in the room in whatever room we walked into. This week where you live and where you work and where you play, you have a choice. What would it mean to become humble? And to lead with that? You might find a depth of relationship you didn't know was possible. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray as we continue on this journey that you would guide and lead our steps. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.